following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. John 7, 37 through 52. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow river, rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, who said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Addie. So uh, let's go now um, to the passage we just uh, heard read from John chapter 7. And uh, this passage is, is on the Holy Spirit. And um, so before we dive into it, let's just spend uh, about a minute in silence just asking the Spirit to come, uh, asking God to reveal Himself by the power of His Spirit to you personally, um, because this promise is beyond good, that the Spirit of Christ dwells within us and flows from us. And so let's just spend a moment uh, begging him to come to us and to those around us. Spirit of Christ, would you come this morning in power and might, blow in and through us in such a real way that we might, that we might know Christ to the level that you have empowered us to know him. Oh God, open the eyes of our hearts, open the ears of our hearts, oh God, break through the trauma that keeps us from trusting, break through all the hurt and pain that all of us have experienced in this world, all the betrayal that we've experienced that keeps us from even trusting you. Father, I pray that you would, by your spirit and by your might, make Jesus known to us in such a real and tangible way in the coming moments that we might fall in love. Oh, God, from the unbeliever to the believer, and all points in between, Father, I pray that you would come, that you would drive away the spirit of skepticism and unbelief. 
That, oh God, you would, you would break through the doubt and the worry, the anxiety. Father, break through it all. There, there are some of us in this room that are, that are in literal bondage to sin. And we need your spirit to come and to break them free, to break the chains, oh God. Father, we need you to bring healing. We need you to bring humility. We need you to bring a genuine hunger to be dependent upon you and to live dependently upon you, Lord Jesus. Oh, would you come and do what no man can do, and certainly I cannot do, and that is reveal yourself in an intimate, incredible way that we might know the hope for which we've been redeemed that we might know the beauty, Lord Jesus, of all that you are and all that you've done for us. Oh, Holy Spirit, make much of Jesus in the coming moments. We beg, and we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you know the story of Louis Zamprini, but he was a World War II fighter pilot who was shot down over the Pacific Ocean. And he spent 47 days in a life raft, <laughs> 47 days floating on a raft. There is the book called Unbroken, and uh, I think the movie by the same title, and you can become acquainted with it. But as, you, as I read that book, I was just in pain thinking about how thirsty that man must have been for 47 days surrounded by a literal sea of water that he couldn't drink. Because if you drink salt water, you just dehydrate and die. It, there's no hydration factor in salt water. And, um, and, and so thirst was his existence. Thirst has always been central to our existence as human beings, especially since the fall. And the people of God throughout the Old Testament experienced it often. Uh, they knew about thirst. And uh, we, we read in the Old Testament that God delivered them miraculously through the Red Sea into the Promised Land, but really into a wilderness wandering first for 40 years. And in the wilderness, they experienced incredible thirst. And we read this. In Exodus 17, we read, There was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. And behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it. And that's exactly what happened. And this theme that, that God was the, um, the, the soul quencher, the, 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 the thirst quencher, became the, the pattern of their feast from that point forward. God commanded the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths be celebrated. It was at the end of the year, probably in our like October, it was the last and greatest feast of, um, or, or the last feast of the feast season. And, um, and, and the people of God created a number of, of rituals to remember how faithful God was to them in the desert. 
And so they would live in tents or booths, as they would call them, to remember where they were in um, tents wandering in the wilderness. And one of the things that they did, one of the primary things that they did is the priest would go to the pool of Siloam and with a gold pitcher and he would dip water out and then he would walk to the temple and the people of God would come behind him uh, singing Isaiah 12 uh, saying, behold, we will, we will draw water from the wells of salvation. And then once they got to the temple, the priest would pour the water out um, um, upon the altar, and the people of God would rejoice as they looked forward to the day when God would pour out the fullness of His salvation. And so Jesus, as we saw last week, uh, stayed back in, in um, Galilee while His brothers went up to Judea to celebrate the Feast of Booths or Feast of Tabernacles, and yet He kind of did an end around. He came in about two or three days in to celebrate that same feast, and so He too has been following this procession, watching the priest pour out the water, and everything in him was welling up because he knew the significance of it. He knew that indeed the Holy Spirit was the water, that, that God his Father, once he was glorified, once he uh, went to the cross, once he was raised and ascended, that God his Father was going to send the Spirit, and literally the people of God would be rocks from which the Holy Spirit would, would dwell and flow outward to the world world around. And Jesus could not contain himself. There was a warrant out for his arrest. The Pharisees wanted to imprison him and kill him, and yet he stood up in the midst of them all, and he said, whoever believes in me, as the Scriptures say, out of him will flow waters, living water. And John tells us he was talking about the Spirit of God, and when the Spirit came to God's people. And friends, that is the hope that we have for us this morning. And yet, how many of us experience the reality of the Spirit? How many of us live rather in a spirit of mediocrity, and in a spirit of unbelief? We believe and not really believe. How many of us experience the beauty of the Spirit's work in our lives and feel that reality of the Spirit not only inhabiting us, but flowing out in joy and love to those around us? Friends, this passage is for us because what we see is that there is a living hope. Christianity is different from all other religions. It doesn't just reorder our lives and make us a little better. It transforms us to the point that God Himself dwells within us to the point that the life of God flows through us. We are literal temples, tabernacles of the living God if we are believers in Jesus Christ. This is unbelievable. It, it tells us, it speaks to that inner thirst that we all have, not just the physical thirst, but the spiritual thirst, the thirst that Jesus addressed in the woman at the well. When he came to her and he, he talked to her um, about the, the idols in her life, the reality that she was feasting, she was drinking, uh, the, the kind of the substance that she was pouring into her soul was intimacy, if not sex, with men. He, he tells her and exposes, yeah, you've been married five times. I knew that, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. And so what Jesus was trying to tell her is, you are feasting your soul. You are drinking from the well of salt water. But, oh, there's a well of living water. 
What are you feasting your soul? What, what well of salt water are you feasting your soul on that is keeping you from experiencing the freshness and the coolness and the power of the Spirit of God within you that literally allows you to participate in the divine nature of God? Do you understand? I, you don't hear me. <laughs> what what God, Jesus is saying to us this morning is that we can participate with the divine nature of God. And this is the main point, namely that the Spirit of God can inhabit us. And we can experience the life of God and we can experience heaven now. There is life right now. It's not just future, it's now because the Spirit of God imparts it. So much so that it can flow through us to those around us. How might that happen? Let's unpack it. First of all, the life of the Spirit comes through faith in Jesus Christ. It comes through the conduit of faith. Let me kind of tell you how this works. Uh, Rachel and I, when I think it was our first church plan, I know it was, um, we were in desperate need of transportation. Let's just say that. And we received a call one day, and the man on the other line identified himself from a local car dealership and said, uh, sir, we have a car here, and it has your name on it, and all you have to do is come and get it. And I thought it was one of my friends playing an untasteful joke on me. I just kind of laughed and said, yeah, right, who is this? And the car dealers, I mean, the, the, the salesman didn't know really how to respond to it. He kept saying, sir, no, we, we have a car here. I said, really? And he gave me his number, and I said, okay, and I hung up the phone, and I called back. I want to see, okay, I'm going to call this guy's bluff. That's he answered. He said, sir, we have a car here bought and paid for, and all you have to do is come get it. And in that moment, I went from skepticism to hallelujah rejoicing. Rachel, Rachel, this is before cell phones, you know, Rachel, you're not going to believe this. And then she went through the same thing. What? No, there's no way. No. And then all of a sudden we're dancing together and we're telling our kids and they're, they don't even know why they're dancing. They just see our joy and they're dancing. You see, once we believed it, it became reality and it moved us. That rea the reality of their generosity, the reality of their love, the reality of someone thinking about us and, and giving us such a good gift, all we had to do was receive it. And friends, this morning, that's what Jesus is saying. The only thing that is keeping us from experiencing the power of the Spirit in our lives is unbelief. It's our skepticism. It, 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 this is how love works. All we have to do is receive it. We, we, you can't convince somebody else of your love. They have to believe it. They have to receive it. They have to take it. But what is the connection between the Spirit and Jesus? Because he tells us that yet, for as yet, the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Well, friends, the primary work of the Spirit is to make real all that Jesus is to and for us. It's to take the concepts and make it a reality in our hearts and minds. 
It's to take the facts about the gospel, the facts about Jesus as king, the facts about a new heaven and a new earth, the facts about no, you know, no more death, no more crying, no more pain, the facts about the gospel and make it a living reality in us. That is what the Spirit of God does. And once Jesus' work was completed on earth, then the Spirit could come. Do you see why? Because salvation had yet to be filled up in Christ. It had yet to be realized to the extent that it was realized after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Jesus had to come and live physically, literally under the law to obey it for you and me. We think about Jesus fulfilling, Jesus paying for our sins, and he does that, and it's one marvelous. But Jesus literally lived under the law to redeem those that were under law. In other words, God does not base our salvation and, and his approval and love upon how well we do and, and perform in light of the law. No, because Jesus has already performed for us. And that's what Christ has done. And then he went to the cross and became our sin. And, and so through faith, we get both righteous standing before God because we have been declared righteous through faith in the, the finished work of Jesus to obey the law, and we've been forgiven of our sins because Jesus has already atoned for that sin. And so now the Spirit has something to apply to us. He has something to work in us, and that's what He does. Romans 8 Verses 13 through 17. And I forgot to tell you on the first, I, I posted my outline in Realm, if you want to pull it up. Uh, if not, just take it in. Uh, and we're working on the projector. Uh, it's kind of like the new heaven and the new earth. It's, it's now, but not yet. Uh, it's coming. It's coming. Uh, Romans 8, 13 through 17. Listen to Paul's words. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit... You put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This, now listen to this. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The Spirit himself, the work of the Spirit is to testify constantly to the validity of the work of Christ that we might believe it because our heart, the natural flesh, wants to disbelieve it constantly. Did you hear me? The Spirit of Christ dwells within us to bear witness. It's like a courtroom. Like the Spirit is constantly there saying, no, it's true. I saw it with my own eyes. Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. Jesus ascended. Jesus is coming back. Your sins are forgiven. You are dearly loved. It, it's all done. You don't have to do anything but receive it. The Spirit of Christ is constantly preaching that message if we would but open the eyes of our, and the ears of our hearts to that message. And friends, it's the hardest thing to believe. The devil's work in this world is to do anything and everything to make us doubt that we're children of God. 
by having us doubt the validity of Jesus. I can believe it for you. You can believe it for your friends and your spouse. But how good at you are believing God's love for you? How, how good are you at allowing the truth of his gospel, the truth of his promises to so permeate your life that, that joy and love and peace come flowing out? Do you see? It's no good for you to believe it for somebody else. You've got to believe it for you. It's got to be a reality for you. Skepticism is all around. This passage, these words comes in the middle of, of um, chapter 7, and there's skepticism all around. Even in the, the verses that Addie read, verses 41 through 42, but some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Do you hear that skepticism? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? And finally, by this point, Jesus is like, I'm just not even going to answer your questions anymore. Yeah, these are easy questions. Yeah, just go back. I was born in Bethlehem. I am, you know. He doesn't even do that. He says, look, you got to at some point just drop your skepticism and believe the reality of my work for you. You've got to stop doubting. You've got to start believing. And that's what Jesus is doing here. I've spent probably 30 years discipling people in a study called sonship and i do this primarily with ministry couples because if the ministry couples can get this concept then hundreds and thousands of people are going to get this concept and this past thursday i was on the phone with a ministry couple and i'm about seven weeks into this study and i could tell that neither one of them are really grasping the reality of the work of god to love them and delight in them and 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 be pleased with them through the work of christ and so i was just working as hard as i could with one of the the you know one person in the couple and i finally said look you know i have a friend and rachel and i have a, a couple that um we went, to, we, we actually took to Napa Valley. Now, Napa's the home of wine, all right? Red wine primarily, but white wine too. And, and I told them, I said, before we went on this trip, the, the husband said he didn't like red wine. And in the back of my mind, I was like, yeah, you hadn't tasted red wine. And so we get to, to Napa, we go to the first winery, and they bring out, you know, these little tastes. And first, the, the wine person, uh, sommelier, whatever, described it all, told us how to drink it, you know, how to really get the taste out of it. He took the first sip, and I, I, looked, at it, I looked over at him, and his face was like, I mean, he just had the wine from Cana, from the wedding feast of Cana. I mean, it was like he was converted, and he really was. Because that guy, uh, I mean, I don't know how many times he's been back to Napa. I don't know how many wine clubs he's joined. He loves it. Why? Because he finally tasted good wine. Friends, when was the last time you tasted the love of God for you? When was the last time the reality that God is not mad at you? That God has no expectations on you? That God is not waiting for you to somehow accomplish some level of something before he accepts you. When was the last time you delighted in the reality of his love for you? 
He has given you his spirit that it might bear witness that you are a child of God this morning, that you are chosen, that you are not a mistake. There's something almost better about adoption because the parent said yes to that child. We got a couple of mistakes, you know, in our family, but the adoption says you come to me. That's what Jesus did with every one of us in this room who are believers in Jesus Christ. He's known you from the beginning of the earth. He knows you to the end. He knows everything you've done better than you do. He knows everything you're going to do. And he says, you, and you, and you. I choose you, and I put my spirit in you that you might be so different from the world that you rejoice in the reality of what I've done for you. It's all throughout the Scriptures. I love Isaiah 55, 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. He who's nobody, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Would you come to Jesus? Would you believe the reality of his work for you this morning? And then secondly, and really finally, the life of the Spirit is what we all want. The life of the Spirit is what we want. We had dinner, uh, actually, with these same friends that we took to Napa this week, and yes, we drank really good wine. Um, but they, their teenage daughter was at the table, and the, the wife fixed pot roast, you know, with the, the carrots in there and the potatoes in there and the little, you know, little baby peas, and uh, then she made some gravy, some brown gravy. And she had these rolls that just, or they're like, I mean, I can't even tell you how fresh and good those rolls are. And, you, you know, you break open that roll, you pour that gravy, you just kind of pour gravy. I mean, I, I just kind of go everywhere, you know, with the gravy. Why well, hold back? And I was just eating. It was so good. The, the meat was so tender and so tasteful. And, and I looked over at the teenage daughter, and she ate a little bit. But she had got, got up from the table and went and got a bowl of chips and brought it back to the table. And I said, what are you doing? She said, I don't really like pot roast. And everything, I can't remember what I said, but everything in me said, oh, you don't know what you like. You have no idea what you like. I promise you, you like this. You just don't know you like this. That's exactly what Jesus is telling us this morning. You don't know what you like. If you're not in love with the Spirit of God, you have, oh, yes, you are. That's what you're looking for in drinking all that salt water out there. You are looking for the Spirit of God. I, I feel like Jesus, I feel like the people of God would say, y'all don't know what you have. We had to follow the cloud. We had to follow fire by night. We had to wait for a burning bush. We had to wait for the Shekinah glory to fall on the temple. We had to wait for God to inhabit the Holy of Holies. And all you have to do is look within you. The Spirit of God himself is dwelling in you as his children. What is your problem? You don't know what you're hungry for. <laughs> you are hungry for the Spirit, and He's there. He is the one who makes real everything that God is for you. Do you believe the love of God? It's because you are resisting the work of the Spirit. This is why you need to go to counseling. 
It's why I'm in counseling. It's not just so that I can get mentally healthy. It's so that I can get mentally healthy so I can believe the gospel a whole lot more powerfully and deeper. I can tell you right now why I don't believe the gospel for me, because my self-image was shaped by a father who left me. And that's a wound that is hard to get over. But I'm doing the work. Why? So that I'll be good without a father? No, so that I can finally accept my father. And I can finally believe it. That is the beauty of, of, of counseling. Everything in life should be moving us toward us receiving this beautiful reality that we are children, sons, and daughters of the living God. And, and, and what else? Uh, th this is the promise, Isaiah 44, for I will pour out water on thirsty land. Anybody thirsty this morning? And streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among grass like willows by flowing streams. The Spirit of God is the presence of God in us, and His presence brings flourishing. What else, what, what else does the Spirit do? The Spirit of God in us produces overflowing hope. I'm just going to list some things. Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Who is overflowing with joy and peace? Let me tell you where to go. You don't need a new car. <laughs> you don't need red wine. You need the Spirit of God. Why? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Where does hope come from? The Holy Spirit, as he reminds you of what God has done for you and who God is for you. Secondly, the Spirit of God in us provides escape from sin. Second Peter 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Do you know the, uh, I need to keep reading, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Here's the deal. We sin because we desire sin. How do we stop desiring sin? Start seeing yourself as being a partaker of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit's nature. I began, this was a, this was beautiful, became really powerful to me this week as I was um, um, presented with some temptation and my, I felt my heart going toward the salt water. And I said, wait a minute. I'm a partaker of the divine nature. I am in fellowship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I have been buried with Christ and raised with Christ, and I have Him. Why would I want that? That is what the Spirit's work is in our lives. It helps us escape sin as we remember our identity. Wait a minute. No, that's salt water. It's going to dehydrate me and kill me, but oh, He will flow through me, and He will bring me joy, and it's work. That indwelling spirit shines the light on Jesus that he might captivate our desires and we might want him more than sin. And the Spirit of God gives us understanding into the mind of God so as to unify the body of Christ. Friends, we are in such a, you know, I, I'm just blown away by all the cultural shifts that have happened over the last couple of years. And it worries me for the church. <laughs> it really does. And there's good to every shift. And I see the good in so many different shifts. But, but let me just read this. In, in 1 Corinthians, 
the people of God were having division in the church body, and they were saying, well, I follow Paul, I follow Cephas, I follow, you know, and there was division. And this is what Paul said, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of, uh, for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. What this is saying is this, how do we, how do we become one together with the mind of God? We don't just read the Word, we read the Word by listening, by reading the Word and listening to the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God is never going to bring division, He's going to bring unity. So what that means is, don't, let's not fight about things until we genuinely have sat before God and we have waited on the Spirit to reveal His Word to us through His Word, made His Word clear to us, because He's not going to divide us. So if we're divided, what do we do? See who wins the argument? No, we come together and we listen to the Spirit of God. We say, speak to us, and we wait, and we listen, and we're humble. This is incredible wisdom that, that Paul is displaying here, because the Spirit will bring unity as he, as he illumines His Word in the body together, and that's how it works. So how do we get the Spirit? Quickly, we've got to understand the Spirit is a person. He's not a ghost. Call Him the Holy Ghost. But he's not a ghost. He's not a gas. He's a person. He's the third person of the Trinity. So how do you invite anybody in? How, how are you going to have me to your house for dinner? You call me and you invite me in. How are you going to get the Holy Spirit? You call him and you invite him in. And you keep inviting him. And you keep inviting him. And you say, I'm not going anywhere. I need you. My whole life depends upon you. You spend an hour waiting on him. You wait silently before the Lord. You say, come, Holy Spirit, come. Do your work in me. Convince me of your, 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 your truth. Brother Lawrence, a uh, long-dead monk, um, wrote, he wrote it and would be horrified to know it was published, but it was published, The Practice of the Presence of God, a little pamphlet. He says this, he said, to practice this correctly, the heart must be empty of all other things. God will possess the heart alone. He cannot possess it solely without emptying it of everything else. He cannot act in the heart and do what he wants within it unless it's empty. I feel like that's what the, David was saying in Psalms 62, verses 1 through 2. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Intimacy in any relationship de demands vulnerability. Come to the Spirit, dear friends. Open your heart to Him. And listen to that objection right now. 
What is that objection? Well, but he, no, take that objection to the Spirit. I, I just, it's hard for me. I, I get distracted. Uh, you don't know what I've done. Bring that to the Holy Spirit and wait and work it out with Him. He is a person who lives within you and wants to hear from you and wants you to open your heart to Him and to work at that relationship that you might know the beauty because when you do, what comes flowing through you is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, gentleness, is that not what you want? I can guarantee you that's what your husband or wife wants. That's what your children want. That's what your parents want. It's what your neighbor wants. It's what your coworkers want. They want to be around somebody like that. They want to be around somebody where the rivers of living water is flowing through them. What if we went to the world and gave it to them? What if we gave it to each other? What if we let the Spirit of God so cook within us individually that we became known, not necessarily as a, as a, as a charismatic church. Say, Rich, you're sounding awfully charismatic. Well, it is charismatic. It's incredibly charismatic. <laughs> I mean, you can't have the Spirit of God and not be charismatic because you are going to overflow with joy. You're going to overflow with love. You're going to overflow with forgiveness. You're going to overflow with the truth of His Word. You're going to be saturated. Why? Because you sit in His presence and you've got to have it. And it must, it's the very thing you want. It's the very thing you know you must have. It's the very thing you go after. Dear friend, would you go after the Spirit this morning? Because He's coming after you. And He wants to meet you. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the promise of the Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for, for coming to us. For indwelling us. Thank you that we have access to you through faith. Help us, O oh God. Help us right now. Help each person in this place, O oh God, to open their hearts to the beauty of, of all that you are. Holy Spirit, come. Do a work in us, O oh God. Teach us how to live differently. Change us. Transform us by your power and by your might and for your glory. O oh God, make us to be a people who are in love with you, Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Receive the benediction. Dear friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. And all God's people said, amen. Be blessed.